Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your long distance, sometimes host, Adam Scalina. How are you doing, Corey? Good, Adam. Yourself? <laughs> Not too bad. I'm currently sitting at a new listing we're launching in East Van, a detached house, and uh, just getting some photos done. But uh, how, how you just had an interview. We did. We did. But before we get to that, let's plug the house. How much is the house? Uh, the house? Well, I can't disclose that yet, Corey. Oh. We're still in the uh, think tank here, but okay. we will be launching in the next few weeks here. So stay tuned for that. Is it safe to say whatever you list it for, you're going to have to throw 20% on top of that price just to get it? Are, are we still in those days? <laughs> this is a pretty this is a pretty special house. I, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of interest on this one for all sure. All right. All right. All right. I, I can't even get it out of you. So, okay. Wait, well, what, what, are, what are you up to this Friday? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to come into this open house. You're going to show me <laughs> yeah, I think you're a buyer potentially. Yeah, do, do they take IOUs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need to see a pre-qualification uh, there from you. I, I won't even get in the door if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> so who did we have on the show today? On the show, we had Nolan Marshall, who's the new CEO of the downtown Vancouver BIA group. I have right. to say, a super charismatic guy. Extremely charismatic. charismatic. <laughs> you think the coffee'd kick in by now? Uh, <laughs> a super charismatic guy. He comes from New Orleans, and he lived through Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Wow! And he had a, he played a role in having that city rebuilt. He was actually a business owner. He said at the time, he said literally his house was underwater, his business was underwater, his city was underwater, and he sort of played a vital role in helping get that community going back on. He talks about other communities he's had vital roles in. So I think coming to Vancouver, which is a city that had so much vibrant and so much interaction pre-pandemic, similar to probably New Orleans and from the hospitality sector side of it, that he says talking to other you know, downtown BIA type people across Canada, that Vancouver yep. is definitely one of the busier cities that sounds like out there. And he's got a lot of really, really good ideas and creativity behind those ideas of what they're looking to do moving forward. And we talk about how the Canucks coming back and how that is. And what are, what are the stakeholders in the downtown? What are they saying? And he really focuses a lot on the retailers, the, the office towers. I mean, they're going to you know pivot, but they're going to be okay. How are the retailers going to get through the next two years? So he talks a lot about that a lot of really, really good insight on that. And I think it sounds like he's the perfect guy for the job, to be honest with you. You know, it, it's a, we're so fortunate in Vancouver that because we're a beautiful city where a lot of people want to be, and, you know, we've got a reputation worldwide for having a, a vibrant city and a vibrant downtown, that we get this kind of talent, like this level of talent. And it happens at obviously the municipal level, but it's, it's incredible that, you know, somebody coming out of Hurricane Katrina Obviously, you know, if you can help solve that crisis, yeah. you're the man for the job in, in pretty much any city, right? I'm going to give you a shameless plug here. After we finished the recording, we were talking after, and he was saying when they made the commitment to come to Vancouver, 
everything is circled around real estate and, and crazy housing prices. So he said he was Googling. I can't remember, to be honest, if it's best Vancouver real estate podcast or just best Vancouver podcast. But sure enough, the Vancouver real estate podcast was the one that popped up. And he's the been- The sister yeah, show. Yeah, he's been a loyal listener to that show and to our show, we found out, which is great to hear for quite a while now, long before he came oh. to Vancouver. So he had nothing but good things to say about you guys. Maybe we were part of the reason he came. Who knew? Well, I didn't, I didn't want to you know, inflate your head anymore, <laughs> but I, I think he, you're probably the only reason why he came because I'm pretty sure if he didn't hear about from you guys, he might not be here. And because of uh, that, everybody in Vancouver thanks you because we now have the man for the job thanks to your podcast you started six years ago, not realizing how important that would be to save our city coming out of an international pandemic. Oh, man, Corey. Yeah, if we don't no, give you the key to the city the when this I is done. I can't even get through the door now. I, I know. The door I know. I got, I, got, I got the mayor texting me right now wanting to give you the key to the city. Do, doing God's work here <laughs> over at the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. What, before we get to this conversation, though, of course, we're we sp- have our fantastic sponsor. We're sponsored by Impact Commercial Group with over 50 years of lending experience. For all your commercial lending needs, visit Al and the guys over there at impactcommercial.ca. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to listen to this interview. Hopefully, it will be out this coming week. I think this is one we're launching on Monday. Is that right? Uh, to, Monday uh, or Tuesday? To, Tuesday. I think Braden pushes them out on Tuesdays. You're, Tuesday. such, you're such a loyal listener to this podcast. We thank you so much so <laughs> that you know when they come out. So that's great. That, <laughs> It's like you got one job. Brady D's doing God's work <laughs> over there, pushing them out on Tuesday. I always listen to the rough edit. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, this is one I'm looking forward to, and sure, it's a riveting conversation. Without further ado, our conversation with Nolan Marshall. Enjoy, guys. So I'm here with Nolan Marshall, CEO of the Downtown Vancouver BIA. Nolan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's not raining today in Vancouver. I take full credit for that. <laughs> so for our, our listeners, you're, you're new to the city and new to the job. Can you tell our listeners more about yourself and maybe how you how the, the job came about? Sure. So I got into what my colleagues in this profession call placemaking in a really unique way. I was living in New Orleans, I'm from New Orleans, was living in New Orleans in 2005 as a 25-year-old, 26-year-old, owned my own business, owned my own home, and Hurricane Katrina in 2005. And I had the choice of whether or not I wanted to rebuild that business if I was going to return back home or be involved in something else. And that something else to me was making a place anew, a place that had been completely underwater and completely devastated by disaster. And so that's what placemaking meant to me some 16 years ago. It was literally, how do you take a place and rebuild it? And so from there, I've worked in public safety and criminal justice reform, education reform and policy, economic development, placemaking policy at the downtown development district in New Orleans. I led a district in uptown, similar to the district here in in downtown downtown Vancouver. So had a similar role in downtown Dallas. And so my career has been about how do you rebuild places and how do you make them as good as they can be? And I was in New Orleans working for the New Orleans Business Alliance, which works at economic development at the macro level. So we would work in uh, job creation 
employee training or pipeline building, small business growth and development, and also business attraction and retention. So everything that you think of when you think of economic development. And I was doing that work for two years, working with small businesses, working in trying to figure out how we create new wealth in our cultural economy in the city of New Orleans. And two weeks before the pandemic started, I was promoted to the C-suite, but got to choose my own title, which is great. It's sort of choose your own adventure, right? Yep, yep. And so I chose the title of Chief Engagement and Solutions Officer because that accurately described the type of work that I was doing at the time. And then two weeks later, the pandemic hits and my colleagues, the elected officials, the business stakeholders in the city of New Orleans all have this expectation that this Chief Engagement and Solutions Officer might have some answers. And so we pivoted the organization to help those workers who were going to be out of work. We started helping neighborhoods and corridors that historically had been disinvested by investing in the corridors, but also investing in those small businesses. And I was doing that work, which was a grind for the first year of, of the pandemic. It was, it was invigorating work. It was challenging work. It was work that felt like it made sense to me because, again, I got into this this work as someone who wanted to rebuild a city because of a disaster. And here we were facing a disaster of sorts again and wasn't really looking outward for new opportunities, but got a call about an opportunity in Vancouver that I thought was a scam at first. And I've, <laughs> I've shared this story with, with many people. I didn't get the voicemail for about two weeks until after it was left and just assumed it was one of those scams, you know, renew your auto insurance that's about to expire or, you know, move to Vancouver with your family during a pandemic. Surely that must be a scam as well. <laughs> right. But it was it, it, it obviously wasn't. And as the father of a six year old and a two year old, my wife and I went through the process and we thought about what would be best for them. And then in my learnings about communities and about cities and about how they're changing, one of the things that I remember coming across was that it's possible that when my kids and your kids are, are older, 50% or more of the world's population will be immigrants because of sociopolitical change, because of climate change. People are being forced to move where they can live and support their families. And so as the father of two two sons, the opportunity to give them an immigrant experience in a world-class city like Vancouver was really motivating for me. So I got really excited about the opportunity. The board got really excited about me. One thing led to another. We loaded up the two kids, the miniature schnauzer, drove eight days across North America, quarantined for 14 days. And I went to work the next day as president and CEO of the downtown Vancouver BIA. Wow. For a lot of our listeners, and we do have a lot of business owners and people that are obviously engaged in the, the commercial real estate sector in one way or the other, can you maybe explain the role of the CEO of the BIA? What, what is the role and, and what are the responsibilities of say, the stakeholders and stuff like that? Sure. So the Business Improvement Association is one of a number of business improvement associations across Canada, and they have counterparts in the U.S., which are economic development districts or business improvement districts. And essentially, commercial property owners and retailers, tenants agree to self-assess themselves so that there is an organization that is responsible for activating the public space for making sure it's a safe, clean environment, for promoting downtown as an appropriate place to visit and make investments. We are the, the champions of everything that happens 
and the downtown environment. And we are the protectors of the public space. So we're responsible for adding value in terms of public safety and making sure downtown is clean and safe, as well as activations that bring people downtown. So the summer we did a Granville Street promenade. We closed the street down for six weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, and did performances on Granville Street during the day that would attract families and visitors to a part of downtown that they may need to take a second look at, right? And so that that's part of what we do. We want to try to increase the foot traffic downtown. We want to increase the investment. We want to support the retailers. And we want to make sure the environment is one that people want to be in. There's obviously no playbook when COVID hit and coming out of, I mean, the disaster of 2005 that you experienced down there and the floods. You know, was there stuff that you could draw on from that experience that when COVID hit and we were in that period of three or four months where no one really had any knowledge or any expectations of what the next six months would look like? Was there anything going through that experience at 2005 that you could draw from that has sort of been an asset and helped you through this process and helped you with your stakeholders? Sure. It's it's all been value add for me having gone through through that process. And so the first thing is that you have to act urgently. And so when I got here. The city, which is known in the planning community for being one that takes some time to innovate, I think would be a polite way of saying it. The city had already innovated in terms of creating a patio program that would allow small businesses and restaurants to activate the public space and to increase their customer base and serve them in that way. It's the kind of innovation that outside of a disaster, who knows how long it would have taken the city of Vancouver to to interject a a patio program into their public realm, right? And so one of the one of the lessons is you've got to move quickly. And so I was glad to see that we'd sort of learned that lesson as many other downtowns and, and cities had. The other lesson is that you've got to support the small businesses. Those are the businesses that are going to be most vulnerable. We've got several class AAA office buildings under construction. Yep. I know yep. return to work will look quite different on floors three through 35 in a lot of our towers, yeah. but it will come back, right? Yep. My concern is yep. for what's happening on the ground floor, what's happening for retailers, restaurateurs, bars, you name it, that occupy those ground floor leases that depend on a certain number, uh, of a certain quantity of foot traffic yep. walking by their business yep. every day. That's what their performer, that's what their business model is based on. It's based on serving a lunch crowd. It's based on serving a Monday through Friday crowd. And what happens to those businesses when office towers are full again, but they're full in a different way. They're yeah. full because uh, an office space that previously accommodated 100 people now accommodates 110 people, maybe, but all on different days, right? So yeah. on any given day, whereas you would have had 100, now you've got optimistically 70, right? So again, yeah. 70% back, I think, is an optimistic goal for us in terms of office workers at any given time. But what does that 30% decrease in office workers mean for the lunch spot that everybody's that everybody loved before the pandemic that now has to try to survive with 30% less business? Yep. What are you hearing? So the lesson is the lesson is support. We've got to figure out a way to support those businesses. They're as important to the success of a downtown as what happens above them. Yep. What are you hearing from these businesses? Surprisingly, on the on the commercial real estate side of things, and obviously during the pandemic, there was a lot of questions about what happens to retailers when the downtown office market, you know, literally was shut down for lack of better words, when we were going through those periods. 
And we're still at a very, very low percentage of people that probably return back to the offices, as you had mentioned. What are you hearing from the people on the retail level? Because surprisingly, when, you I mean, unfortunately, some tenants, unfortunately, have not made it through the pandemic. And our offices have, along with the other brokerages downtown, have been tasked with refilling these and backfilling these spaces. And surprisingly, demand has been, has been overwhelming for our retailers to come lease the spaces that are vacant. And in some cases, for more than what the previous tenant was paying. Now, I don't know if that is, is driven by optimism right now or if it's driven by the, that, the lack of supply that's out there overall from a market standpoint. What are you hearing from the business owners and the stakeholders on the ground right now with the, the small mom and pop restaurants? Are they, are they getting through this because of subsidy programs or are some of them seeing a little bit more uptick in business than they first expected? Or in a worst case scenario, is that business still weighed down from what it was to the point they don't, they don't have a clear picture what the next six months look like? So that's a, that's a weighted and complex question. Entrepreneurs by nature, and I, I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs. My, my grandfather was an entrepreneur, started his business in 1948. My father was an entrepreneur. Two weeks after graduating from college, my father fired me from his business and told me to go start my own business if I think I know everything. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I understand the optimism that entrepreneurs uh, have. And there's also a supply issue. So you have demand from optimistic entrepreneurs and you have, I mean, it's, it's the beauty of Vancouver, right? So you, you don't have, you have a limited land supply. You don't have just an abundance of open space. It's not, it's not Dallas where I worked before. It's not Jacksonville, Florida. It's not Detroit, Michigan, where land is in abundance. It is a place that is land constrained. And so you will always have demand for something. The question that I have is, what's the performer? What's the business model? Are businesses basing their business model off of pre-pandemic numbers, or are they accurately gauging what the future will be? And so that's the challenge. And then it's also the worst case scenario did not come to be in Vancouver. So right. several of my colleagues in Canada, whether that be Edmonton or Calgary or Toronto, their downtowns are not faring as well as we are. Downtowns across North America are not faring as well as Vancouver is. TransLink's numbers in terms of transit, while low, and I think they're at 57% ridership now, they lead North America in ridership. So things did not come to be as bad as they are everywhere else in downtown Vancouver. And so that leads to people being optimistic about what the future will be. Yep. But if community habits change, if we see 30% less pedestrian traffic, the business models will have to change. And so that's the part of it that I don't, I don't have a sense of whether or not we're calculating for that or whether or not we have the right interventions, the right programs to bring more people downtown. And so part of that mix, especially coming from a city like New Orleans is visitors. Are we going to have the return of the robust cruise industry? Can we increase yeah. that? Is business travel going to return? The estimates that I have on business travel is that it'll it'll take some time before business travel gets back, even if leisure travel rebounds because of pent up demand. Uh, and, but can we supplement, can we increase visitors to downtown if we know we don't have office workers? 
can we start to and should we start to rethink about how we build residential downtown and the downtown core for a very long period of time because we needed to build up our commercial inventory? We prohibited building residential in the core. Yep. And so should we be revisiting that now? Because if we can build more residences downtown, we'll have more people downtown, whether they're working downtown or not. And we know we have a housing crisis in Vancouver. Uh, we have a shortage of hotels in Vancouver. And so I'm not concerned about our ability to continue to build a dynamic environment, but the people mix will change and what the numbers look like may change. One thing you touched there that sort of almost parlays to my next question was the hotel industry. Obviously, you guys are probably working hand in hand with them. They've been one of the sectors that seems to have obviously been hit the hardest with the pandemic, with Vancouver having such huge tourism up until things kind of got shut down there. What are the hotels saying? Are they seeing local travel kind of backfill a little bit of what that international travel was? Or are they still at very scarce levels and there's a lot of questions in the air right now? It's it's relative. If you If you dropped me in downtown Vancouver and didn't tell me that we were in the middle of a pandemic, I would think there was that you had a, a suffering hotel industry because the numbers are still at pandemic level, right? Yeah. But they are, again, Vancouver, we are very fortunate. The numbers are increasing. Our hotel supply, we aren't overbuilt on hotels. Cities like New Orleans, Las Vegas, New York, big tourism and hospitality convention business cities have an abundance of hotel rooms that they have to fill in a pandemic. In many ways, we're fortunate that before the pandemic, we didn't have the hotel rooms that we needed. We were underbuilt in hotel. And so we'll come back much quicker because we'll be able to get, because we just don't have the supply. We'll be able to get people to fill those rooms quicker than some of those other cities will. One of the things that we hear quite often in the media right now is, is crime in the downtown core. It seems like every day on the news, they're talking about more broken windows in businesses. I mean, you're dealing with people are on the on the forefront of dealing with this in the business community out there. Are they seeing what the news is portraying to be as bad as it is? And anyway, what what plans are you working on with the stakeholders potentially, and obviously the local municipality police force and stuff, to maybe try to rectify that the best we can, understanding that we probably still have a ways to go to get out of this. Sure, public safety is a is a very complicated problem to address as a community, and. When I went back to New Orleans in 2005 and thought I wanted to be a part of rebuilding the city, I wanted to be a placemaker, right? Like that that's what I decided I wanted to do with, with my life, to make a place better. Yeah. I didn't know what the first thing that I would be working on would be, but it ended up being public safety, criminal justice reform, and rebuilding public trust because that's the foundation of how you build an economically vibrant and viable community. And so I've got I've got some experience in dealing with these issues and doing this kind of work. Objectively, downtown Vancouver is one of the safest downtowns in North America. That's not an opinion, that's just looking at the data and and the facts. I went to the Canucks game, the home opener earlier, and walked three kilometers from the Canucks game back to our home in the West End, saw people out enjoying themselves, felt safe the entire walk. It's not an unsafe community, but what we have had is an increase in property crime, and we've had an increase in stranger-on-stranger crime. And so what we're doing is understanding the complexity of the problem. And so we, we don't want to get into a conversation where we say, 
homelessness or addiction is criminal. So how do you help people who are going through that, that, that circumstance in their life? You need complex care, you need housing solutions, you need a public health intervention. And so we're working with partners on how do we get the types of facilities and complex care, public health solutions that those individuals need? We're also working with the VPD on how do we create programs that specifically target a criminal element, right? These people aren't people who are criminals because they are addicted or homeless. They're just criminals. So how do we target those people and make sure that we have appropriate consequences for people who are repeat offenders and uh, creating the sort of environment that makes people feel unsafe in downtown, even if objectively it's not an unsafe environment? So it's a it's a challenging problem. You can never flip the switch on or off overnight and say, oh, it's it's solved in a week. But it's it's a problem that is solvable. So that's that's what I spend 50 percent of my time and my, my first couple of months here in Vancouver talking to stakeholders about. It's how do we create the partnerships that create the public safety environment that makes people feel safe? You touched on the Canucks there. And it seems like you know, when, when you talk to some people, that was probably the last step of maybe trying to get back to some level of normalcy. Can I go sit in a stadium with 20,000 people and watch a sporting game or a concert? Or can I go attend a larger convention? I mean, Canucks, obviously, I mean, the Rogers Arena plays a very vital part of the business community down here during events and stuff like that. What are you What are you guys hearing about like, optimism from businesses, obviously, with that reopening? And, and I know we're only a couple games in. It's hard to sort of pinpoint at this point. But are the restaurants and the bars and that stuff, are they seeing that injection of business they were maybe hoping for when it reopened? Oh, absolutely. It is huge to be able to have that many people returning to downtown and supporting the small businesses, the restaurants, the retailers in and around the arena before and after games. That will have a huge impact on, on downtown businesses. What we have to be able to do, though, is look at why does that happen? It happens because you're having broadly a special event. It happens to be hockey, right? But it could be a concert. It could be theater. It could be uh, reopening the clubs in a meaningful way on Granville Street. Uh, nightclubs still aren't allowed to have dancing. I feel like I'm trapped in an episode of Footloose. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the more the more activities that we can sponsor, support, endorse in the downtown environment, they're meaningful because they're fun, they're community building, they get people out having a great time. Everybody needs that, feels sort of the human compulsion to be around other people after the last 18 months that we've had. Yeah. But the businesses really need that. So when I when I talk about the Granville promenade that we did or needing to do more of that or more street activations, getting the ice rink back open in Robson Square, getting clubs back open with dancing and getting more performances in the public realm and in venues. It, it's not because I, I just like to have fun. It's because it'll support the businesses downtown that are a part of the downtown BIA. Are you hearing concern at all with respect to, you know, down, you know, pre-pandemic, there was a lot, and you touched on this earlier, a lot of offices coming in. You mean there's a lot of offices proposed? Are you hearing concern at all from developers that you guys are worried about, probably working closely with? With maybe they're looking at having to like rethink some of this this development play with it because they just don't think that market maybe what it once was. It is honestly, it's what I expected to hear when I arrived here because it's what every other downtown leader, every other economic developer, and every other downtown in North America is hearing. 
Uh, you're seeing projects that were intended to be 100% commercial shifting to residential or shifting to some other sort of mixed use, or you're seeing them just stall. It's, it's quite the opposite, actually. We, we all know about the publicly announced and under construction projects. I've probably had conversations with half a dozen developers who have proposals that they are bringing forth to city council and to the planning department within the next 12 months, some commercial, some residential, but mostly commercial. So the industry here, developers, are still very bullish about the need for office space in Vancouver. And it, it will look different, but there's such a demand in a constrained building environment for, for office that I think it's what's driving the, the continued push for more commercial. It's funny because you hear like us in the brokerage side of things dealing directly with landlords and tenants and leasing and the lease renewal process. When you speak to someone in the public who may or not have an understanding of the back end, everyone assumes these office buildings are never going to fill back up. Tenants are going to vacate, never come back. And we had a very almost unhealthy vacancy level pre-pandemic for tenants in the office sector that it was very challenging for them to find space. And if they did, the numbers were seeming like they were moving up year over year. And we're finding it from an office leasing standpoint. Things have picked up dramatically where new tenants are engaged, coming back to look to tenant office spaces, but also the renewal process. And another thing that we're seeing is guys that once maybe had 15,000 square feet, they may look to go down to 10,000 square feet, but still have a presence. But then the guy, at, the other guy at five, he wants to have all his staff back, but now he may want more space for them. So now he's going to become a 10,000 square foot tenant and, and backfill that 5,000 square foot. Are you hearing a lot from like the office tenants that you guys engage with that the plans to come back, although looking different, are still there and no one's kind of flown the coop yet? Sure. That that's exactly that's exactly right. And you you look at even large employers like Amazon who haven't occupied their space yet, they're still planning to occupy their space. They're likely going to have more people that they employ in Vancouver, just fewer working. They just all won't be working in the office building on the same day, right? So it's exactly what you described. The folks who were in the smaller office spaces need more space, and maybe the folks who were in larger office spaces need the same space, or, or maybe they need just a little bit less. It's why I started by saying I'm not concerned with what's going to occur with the office space between floors three and 35, yeah. right? Like those will those will get filled. The vacancy rate in Vancouver was astronomically low before the pandemic. If you told me it was going to increase by 300%, that number in and of itself would be alarming. But if you told me it was just 9% still, that's still healthy, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. We could at 9% you can still you can still build more. So we're in a very healthy commercial environment. I know in terms of order of priority what developers love to build is commercial. But we're in a very privileged downtown. If for some reason the commercial market shifts in a more significant way than it has, we are underbuilt for hotels, which is probably the last thing that they would want to build. But you could still build hotels. You're not going to make as much money as you would building commercial. But there is demand in this market for hotels. We all know there's demand for residential. And so... I say all that to say the building boom in downtown is not going to stop because we're land constrained and because we need all of these things. If it stops being office at some point in the next 10 years, it will shift to residential because we need that. 
and we need hotels. We need all of it. It's the, it's the beauty of being on somewhat of an island, right? Yeah, for sure. Assuming things continue to move in a positive direction with regards to vaccination rates going up, hospitalization as a percentage less than what we were a year ago, what's the next six months look like for downtown? What are you guys working on and what do you guys envision the next six months looking like? We are optimistically looking at seeing increases in return to work in early 2022. There is no hard predictive data on who's going to come back to the office and when they're going to come back to the office. But anecdotally, talking to stakeholders, talking to large employers, talking to colleagues across North America, we're all hearing the same thing, that 2022 is when when people will begin to require their employees to come back into the office. And again, it won't be five days a week, but people will start to have requirements and mandates that people spend time in the office. And so in preparation of that, we want to make sure that they're coming back to a downtown that is clean, a downtown that is safe. And we want to make sure that there are activities that are happening in downtown that give it the same vibrancy and flair that people enjoy about downtown. We sort of mistimed it a bit being optimistic that folks would return in the fall, but we launched a campaign leading into Labor Day where people could go on a microsite and schedule what looked like a regular in-office meeting or out-of-office meeting. And so it would appear on your calendar invite as if you had something that was quite professional taking place in your day. And what it really was, was a happy hour at one of the local establishments. And by scheduling it through this microsite, you got a discount at the bar when you showed up. But on your calendar, it looked like, yeah, meeting with John Doe to discuss the rain, right? Yeah. And so we'll do we'll do sort of pithy things like that to try to get people back downtown and try to get people back into the routine of going to happy hours, spending time with their colleagues, eating lunch at their favorite establishments. And so those are the kinds of things that we'll be promoting as people start to return back to work. I can say from, I mean, our company standpoint, our head office is downtown Vancouver, and I don't think anyone envies your position right now with maybe the state of where the city is versus what it was. But I, you know, we all thank you for the job you're doing. It's not an easy job you have, and you guys are working, you know, extremely hard to get us back on track. So first and foremost, thank you so much for doing what you're doing and and coming to our beautiful city. Uh, before we let you go today, we have a, a six-pack of lighthearted questions that we kind of get to know you a little bit outside of the office. Do you have a few more minutes for us? Sure. So our six-pack is powered by Red Point Law. For all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca. So Nolan, I'll start you off here with an easy one. What is your favorite bar or restaurant since moving to the city? Oh, that's a challenging one, actually. So it's almost like uh, asking you to pick your favorite kid, I think, with the with the job you do. But maybe we'll give you a couple chances. Maybe maybe uh, pick, pick a couple ones. I really enjoyed going to Nightingale. We went to Nightingale before uh, the Canucks game. Really enjoyed it. We have enjoyed going to the pawn shop on Granville. Not really a, a, a happy hour space, but really a fun vibe at, at the pawn shop on, on Granville. Those are just a, a couple. You know, I've got a, a six-year-old and a two-year-old at home. And so it's it's actually been more challenging than than I'd like to get out for happy hours. But you know, I'm I'm very easy to find on social media at Nolan Marshall on Twitter. If anybody wants to invite me to a happy hour, I'd be happy to join. <laughs> I'm still learning my new home. Yep. Favorite 
band or song? So I would have to say that Drake is the best Canadian rapper ever. I'll agree with you on that. Uh, not ne- not necessarily a band, but you know, Drake is the best Canadian rapper ever. And so I'm a big Drake fan. I would say though that the most meaningful album of my life was probably Kanye West's late registration. And it was released two days after Hurricane Katrina. And I probably listened to it once a week for the last 16 years and now won't listen to it at all or anything else Kanye West produces. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was so it was so meaningful in my in my life that i've i've hated to have to give it up but you got to make hard choices and and that was one of them i think there's a lot of people that would echo that sentiment about you know previous kanye west and uh and kanye west of the 2021st century yeah it's the new kanye he's not i'm not a new kanye fan. new <laughs> kanye new coke that that should never have existed i agree with you on that a book you'd recommend to our listeners so a book that has been really meaningful to me, uh, and this isn't one that I think is going to be, maybe it'll be interesting to a lot of uh, real estate investors in that type, but Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone was something that I read quite a few years ago. And it's really about the loss of community in North America. Uh, and the symbolism from it is we all used to, I can't say we all, but there, there used to be bowling clubs and there used to be all of these these types of social engagement clubs that that happened in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in North America. And he's a sociologist. He studied how attendance and membership in these clubs has dwindled and what impact that has had on society. And so I, I'd recommend it because I think it's informative because we're certainly rebuilding places after uh, this pandemic. But more than anything, we've got to rebuild community and we've got to reestablish some habits of socialization and, and being around other people. And it's it's something that we don't think about often, but it's it's very important. The community informs how we build the place as much as the place informs what the community ends up looking like. Well said. I would have recommended Game of Thrones, but everybody's seen the TV <laughs> show. But George R.R. R. Martin has built a, an amazing world as well. So. Anybody in a pop culture can go back and read Game of Thrones and sit with the rest of us and wait for him to get around to writing the conclusion. Oh, geez. I know, I know my wife has is, is watched that whole series front to back. I don't know how many times. She's just, I mean, it seems like her and everybody. I'm probably the only guy on the planet that hasn't got into it yet. I love stories. And I, you know, I, I will, I like reading nonfiction and I like documentaries, but I like the creativity that goes into stories. And I think yeah. it, it informs how I, how I walk around a community and how I, how I view it. it. It's from a, I like to be able to uh, be creative and, and think about community in an imaginative way and find that fiction helps that helps activate that part of my brain. Great. An inspirational quote or a quote you choose to live by. You know, my, my dad used to always try to get us to go work at his office and he would ask us if you, you know, do we want to go, we owned a photography studio. Do you want to go to the studio and work with us? And as a teenager, I'd always, you know, tell him no, but you know, if you, if you tell me you need me, I'll go. And he would tell me, if you find something you love doing, you'll never work a a day in your life. And it's, you know, as a teenager, you sort of hear your dad say that and you think he's just trying to get me to come to his office. Right. He, I interpreted that as if I love my dad, I'll go to his office. Right. But that's that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant at all. He really meant if you find something you love doing, you'll, you'll, it'll feel like you never work a day in your life because you'll wake up energized and engaged and want to do that thing. And you'll do it whether they 
pay you a lot of money to do it or or not. And you'll also work on your craft and, and improve because it's what you wake up thinking about. And so it's I, I think about him telling me that all the time. And I'm very fortunate to have found something that I love doing. And honestly, I uh, don't share this with my my board, but it doesn't feel like work to me. Yeah. You know, they they wouldn't they probably wouldn't have to pay me if they told me they needed <laughs> to do that. But Vancouver is very expensive, and so I'm glad that they do. Yeah, no kidding. Favorite vacation spot? You can make the assumption that the world reopens and you can go anywhere you want. So can I give you two? Hundred percent. Yeah, go ahead. We would love driving to the to the north uh, part of Florida, uh, the Panhandle. There's a highway, Highway 30A, where there are all these little small beach towns, white sand beaches really small towns, a great place. And it was about three and a half hours from New Orleans to get there. So that was probably the most frequent vacation spot that we would go as a family. Uh, it's also called the Redneck Riviera. But in spite of that, we enjoyed ourselves. The other spot uh, is probably Singapore. I'd love to be able to get back to Singapore. I just love everything about that community and that part of the world and how you can hop a flight to Bali or somewhere else in Indonesia and have a completely different experience from what you have in the in the urban environment of Singapore. Well, let's hope those days aren't too far too far from us now that uh, we'll slowly keep getting through this. And last last question, kind of a piece of what what piece of advice would you give? Let's let's tailor it to your industry, say the business owners that are out there right now in the downtown that are are looking to get through this. What's what piece of advice can you provide to them? It would be encouragement. We're in a global pandemic, and we we shouldn't lose sight of that. But every every metric, whether it's public safety, whether it's transit ridership, whether it's business closure, whether it's commercial vacancy, every metric is as strong in Vancouver as it is anywhere. Uh, and so we are in the right place. Cities recover after disasters. I, I know that firsthand. I witnessed a city that was literally underwater. My home was underwater. My business was underwater. And so I, I know what, especially the small business owners are going through who lease space in downtown. But what I would just say is they should, they should, be, they should be encouraged and they should be thoughtful about how they want to position their business going forward for uh, a downtown that might be slightly different than the one that was pre-pandemic but it will be as strong as any downtown in North America or the world. Before we let you go, and we, we once again, we thank you so much for everything you're doing. How can our listeners find out more about what you're doing and what the Downtown Vancouver BIA is doing? Sure. So you can go to our website, dtvan.ca. I would recommend that you sign up for our newsletter. You will get a chance to learn about all the programming that we're doing in downtown, special events happening in downtown. Again, a big part of rebuilding is rebuilding community and social interactions. And so we'll be we'll be really promoting those opportunities for people. We want people to come back to offices and have those social experiences again. So you can find out about the organization there. Uh, you can follow me on social media, Nolan Marshall, at Nolan Marshall on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty active there and will engage with anyone who, who wants to engage on that platform. Um, and look forward to, as I said earlier, just being introduced to my new home by being introduced to as many people who live here as possible, because it's the people that ultimately make a place special. So that's what I'm looking forward to 
That's how you can find me in the organization. And I look forward to your listeners finding me. Well, we, we appreciate, like I said, everything you guys are doing. It's great to have you here in this city. And I, like I said, I think you guys are doing a tremendous job. And we look forward to seeing how the next six months and one year roll out as things hopefully get back to sort of somewhat normalcy. And, uh, and thank you so much for your taking your time out of your busy day to join us today. Thanks for having me. I'd be remiss if I didn't say folks should be investing in industrial. <laughs> I didn't want to be the only guest to not remind people to invest in industrial. We didn't, so, we didn't go down those roads with you because there wasn't too much industrial land downtown. Yeah, there, there isn't any industrial land downtown, but I, I wanted to make sure that, <laughs> uh, that there wasn't a, there wasn't an episode that went by that folks weren't reminded to invest in industrial. Well, I, I don't think there's a, there's a better, there's a better thumbs up for the investment is if the guy in charge of the downtown core where there's no industrial, if he's telling you to buy industrial, you know it's got to be a good product. Right. There you go. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Nolan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a good day. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Nolan Marshall, CEO of the Downtown BIA. I, I, you know how I'm going to describe this, Adam. I'll let you fill it in. Yeah, it, it was a phenomenal conversation, I think. Is, I, I was going to say excellent. It. Excellent. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Changing it up. <laughs> no, great conversation. Like I said, very insightful. Like he's you know, the best man for the job. We're very fortunate as Vancouverites to have him here in that position, getting us out of this, this mess here along with everybody else in the world, it feels like. But uh, he talks about how, you I mean, the great programs that are going on. They got a lot of exciting stuff in the pipeline coming up. You know, we got Rogers Arena open again, and he, he, we talked a little bit about the injection back into the hospitality business there, which has been great and, and probably much needed. So lots of exciting stuff coming up for the future. Speaking of exciting stuff, I'm almost done season two of Succession now. Almost oh, ready nice. for a success. Yeah, no, I, you know, and Matt had brought it up again. And uh, we've been we've been beaten like basically beating you up trying to get you to watch it here for what now well, two I'll, years? Yeah, well, I'll tell you right now, if if it wasn't for your first recommendation there, I might have taken your second recommendation a little <laughs> seriously. Uh, that Yellowstone <laughs> thing still has got uh, still it's still gives me a little yeah bad taste in my mouth would be would be an understatement. But yeah, no, I I still put the eighty bucks a month or a year into Jeff Bezos' pocket thanks to you. Yeah, yeah. And are you team Kendall or what 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 how, how well, are you feeling about You know, I'm, the, I'm about, uh, I think about I think about 8 episodes into season 2 right now, so I'm almost yeah. there. I would say I'm probably more on team Kendall than I'm not. I'm wow. I'm looking forward to cuz I've heard the end of season 2 is pretty exciting, so I'm I'm looking forward to getting to that last episode so I can finally get on to season 3 here. But uh yeah, no, I I definitely say the first 4 or 5 episodes I couldn't really get into it. Forced myself to get through it because I have nothing else to talk to you about. And now <laughs> I'm almost done season two and I'm glad I'm there. Well, here's the thing. We, we do bore on the floor every other week at our office <laughs> taken directly from that show. So this is, it, we, we take a lot of life lessons from, from succession, but it's, I, you said bore, I thought you said bore on the floor. I was thinking about my conversation with you most days. Just yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so Adam, boy. before we let everybody go, you've got this house you're at right now. You can't tell yes. us anything about it. You can't tell us the price, but you tell us it's a gem. 
Can it you is give a, can you give us gem. like a hint here? I can tell you it's an East Van beauty. And uh, when it comes to market, it's one that I'm super excited to be uh, bringing to market, of course. And views for days, I can tell you that. So we're on an elevation high enough that you get some pretty phenomenal views. And uh, yeah, we're just excited to to be bringing it to market for sure. Now, when you say beauty, do you use that in the context of like, oh, that guy's a beauty, as in like he's a jerk? Or is it like, hey, that's a beauty, as in like, I need to buy those jeans? No, I, I don't use, I'm, I'm not playing hockey anymore, Corey, <laughs> so I'm, I'm using it in the, in the correct term of beauty. Okay. <laughs> it's an actual beauty. Well, but uh, <laughs> I, just, I just logged into my bank account and my checking account's minus $5.06, so I don't think I'll be at that open house there. Right, right. Well, <laughs> your bank account's a beauty. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's leave it there. But what else do we got before we cut for the day? Uh, people can always reach us at williamwrightcommercial.ca. They can always send us an email at Corey at WilliamWright.ca or they're welcome to call our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255 anytime. And Adam, if they want to find out where these podcasts live, why don't you tell us where they can find them? Yeah, you can go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can find Vancouver Real Estate Podcast and the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We've also got phenomenal resources. We've got the live wire that you can sign up for. Lots of information, both in the residential and commercial market. And I should say, Corey, do you guys have anything in the pipeline that you want to talk about before we cut? I'll be honest with you. Right now, it is so tremendously busy. There is probably too much to talk about just now. But in the coming weeks, we'll have some exciting news with some new stuff that we can uh, we can we can put out there to the public. What's coming in the pipeline there? But and what, are you seeing more inventory, or is it still pretty slow moving? Well, that's the problem: is the lack of inventory still exists? Demand is increasing. There's a lot of money on the sidelines looking to get in, and uh, I mean, so we haven't got any better on that aspect of it, which is just fueling the market heading into the Christmas season here. But one thing I was thinking that you won't find on Vancouver real estate podcast.com is that house and the right. address and the price. So even if you sign up, we're still not going to tell you about that one. <laughs> this one's a secret. <laughs> this one's a secret till it, till it's live. But yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about it in future episodes. Can't wait for that. And uh, yeah, well, Corey, I'll let you go. I know you got a busy day and I better get out of here because uh, the homeowners are looking at me do this, doing this podcast going, why did we hire this guy? Well, you hired him because you do the podcast because all the free advertising <laughs> just got all seven of our listeners are trying to figure out where this house is now. Yeah, exactly. All right, Adam, have yourself a great day. All right, Corey, take, take care. Take care. Thanks for listening, guys. Subscribe today.